Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, with the goal of engaging the city and impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. Abraham Joseph. If you want to know more about Calvary Baptist Church and its ministries, head over to www.cbcnyc.org. Let's go to God in prayer as we go to his word. Our Father and our God, we are weak, we are helpless, uh, but Jesus is strong and kind. And that's why we are here this morning, because what we cannot do for ourselves, you have done, us, done for us in Christ Jesus our Lord, that in him uh, you have taken away our sins uh, by his cross, by his resurrection. We thank you for your kindness toward us. And God, you have called us to yourself, not just that we may be blessed, but we may be a blessing to others. So this morning, as we look to your word, help us, Lord, to see how uh, we ought to remain as people who are weak, uh, people who are helpless, because only then we receive your strength, and therefore we can also be witness to others that they too can come to Jesus, who is strong and kind, and they too can receive from you this kingdom into which you called us, so that uh, we may be your people, and that we will one day, together with all of creation, experience your goodness and kindness as you make all things new. Help us to be who you call us to be. Teach us from your word by your spirit, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we come to a passage that may be familiar to, to many of us, especially those of you who are working with uh, children. Did I turn my microphone on? There you go. One more thing to do, so um, I need to keep a little checklist here. Uh, um, but I'm very grateful for this microphone, by the way. Uh, uh, we, we've been looking at Jesus' call to discipleship. The whole of Gospel of Mark is about following Jesus, who's the servant king. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It is to be a disciple. And discipleship covers all areas of our life. So before we go into our passage for this morning, I have a couple of questions, as always, to get us thinking in the direction in which the passage is going to take us. Uh, who are people normally considered to be of lowly status, people who are unwelcome uh, in our culture, in our society. Homeless people, says John. Who else? Drug addicts, the disabled people, mentally ill, the prisoners, the poor, yes, yes. Yes, we can all identify people on the people who didn't make get to our Thanksgiving invite list as well, right? <laughs> For various reasons. Uh, so yes, we can readily identify people that our culture, our society deems unworthy, uh, people who, to whom we don't have to pay attention. But what about us? Uh, are these people that society considers unworthy, unfit, uh, does the church see them that, well, that way as well, uh, especially we as, our, as a church? We shouldn't, but do we? Or We need to talk. 
But before we, need to, before we talk, we, could, we should listen to what God has to say to us from this passage we are looking at this morning. Jesus is still on that journey from uh, Galilee to Jerusalem. He's on the way to Jerusalem where he will be handed over to the uh, religious and political authorities. And he will suffer at their hands. He will die. He will be buried and he will be raised again. But in this journey, he is instructing his disciples on, on, on the path of discipleship. What it means to be his disciples. What it means to be his followers. So that through, him, through them, he would make known the kingdom that he had come to inaugurate through his death and his resurrection. And the kingdom that he will consummate when he returns. So this instruction has taken the form of Jesus uh, announcing to them beforehand that he had come as to die and to uh, and at the hands of his enemies and and then to be buried and to rise again and he says this after the disciples have rightly confessed him as the Christ the, the Messiah uh, the ruling one of God himself the king of the kingdom and the disciples can't fathom how the king who who established God's victorious kingdom could die at the hands of his enemies he should actually put to death the enemies of God is how uh, the conventional thinking went and every time Jesus predicts and he will do that three times in this journey they will respond with great misunderstanding we saw that in the very first time where Peter rebukes Jesus. Right after he has confessed him as the Messiah, he dares to rebuke the Messiah for declaring his mission to come and die. Because in Peter's expectation, uh, Messiah shouldn't be the one who dies, but should be the one who puts others to death. God's enemies. And Jesus rebukes him in turn because his thinking, is, his expectations are in alignment with Satan and not according to God's purposes. Then we saw the second uh, prediction Again, where there's a, a Jesus uh, tells them that he had come so that uh, in, uh, when he gets to Jerusalem, he would be handed over, that he would suffer at the hands of their enemies and he would die and he would be buried and he rise again. While Jesus was teaching them that, they, on the other hand, were discussing who among them was the greatest. Well, they know Jesus is the Christ. They had confessed and Jesus had affirmed, well, Obviously, when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to establish God's kingdom. And if God's kingdom is going to be established, we need to decide who's going to be on the right hand and the left hand. They're going to ask that explicitly after the third prediction. Uh, who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus rebukes them and teaches them again. To be a follower of Jesus, the servant king, is to deny oneself, to take up one's cross, to follow him, to be the last, to be the servant of all. But they still don't get it. And Jesus does not reject them, but continues to teach them. Continues to teach them about what it means to be his disciple. And we saw in the last couple of sessions that discipleship, discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, it's not just restricted to a verbal proclamation, but involves all of life. The kingdom of God is an all-consuming reality, uh, which involves all of life. It's a complete turnaround in how we live, how we ought to live. So it includes... Including others who may not belong to our group, but still belong to Jesus and, and work in the name of Jesus. It includes holiness that sets us apart from the world. Not that we may exclude ourselves, but that we may be sent back into the world as, those, as, as salt. As those who would uh, preserve God's way. Those who will flavor this world with, with God's way of living. And that includes marriage. That's what we saw last time. 
God's intent for marriage is one of permanence because marriage was more than just two individuals coming together for their uh, coming together and their uh, multiplying their progeny. It's, it has to, because marriage was established by God primarily to point to Him, to His love, to His faithfulness, to His relationship within the Godhead, but also His relationship to, to each other. So marriage is a signpost that points to God. And therefore, even if God had permitted divorce in the case of adultery because of sin, in the, in the coming of the kingdom of God, uh, we don't live according to the permission for sin, but according to God's intent from creation onward. So marriage ought to be permanent among those who are God's people, because marriage points to God's faithfulness. Marriage points to God's love for the other, even the other within the Godhead, but also the other outside of himself. Marriage points to uh, an other-centered love. So marriage is part of being a disciple of Jesus, living out the kingdom way of life. And this morning, we are going to look at uh, how uh, children serve in, uh, in the kingdom of God, in, in, uh, in being disciples. This is not a treatise on the Christian view of childhood. Uh, but there is a characteristic of children uh, that is... Uh, that points to what life in the kingdom ought to look like. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Just four verses for today. I know you're disappointed. But uh, we'll we'll pick up next week for a longer passage. Uh, uh, In verse 13, we see that uh, children are brought to Jesus and the the disciples uh, become gatekeepers. and uh, And they keep out these kids. And then verses 14 and 15, we see the diametrically opposed attitude of Jesus. He's the one who welcomes these that the disciples had considered unworthy. And then in verse 16, he blesses them. We read in verse 13, and they were bringing children to to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Who are they? Probably parents, probably caretakers. It doesn't matter. They're some anonymous people. And that fits the, uh, uh, this passage because they're going to be ignored. These are not somebodies. These are people whose names we do not even know. And they're bringing children to him. Children have been brought to Jesus before. Uh, Jairus came on behalf of his daughter. Uh, the Syrophoenician woman came behalf, uh, on behalf of her child. And uh, the, when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, a man brought his demonized son. And, but they all brought their children because they needed the healing touch of Jesus. But here we are told that uh, healing is not necessary, but that uh, they brought him, the children to Jesus so that he may touch them. Uh, they, that, the, the touch of blessing is what they were looking for. In many cultures, not only in the ancient Middle East, even today, when, uh, when we were living in the Philippines, some of our Filipino brothers and sisters can attest to that, uh, when, uh, when an elder uh, or, a, or a pastor would, uh, would come, uh, they would take, especially children, would take the hand of the pastor or the, uh, or the older person and put it on their head, as a, their own head, as a sign of blessing. Uh, our uh, brother... Uh, Edwin, who's here, he, he, he often takes my hand and puts it on his head. And I hope he's blessed by that. Uh, uh, but it's a gesture of respect, but it's also a, a gesture that's, uh, that seeks blessing. And that's what they're bringing these uh, parents or bringing these children uh, to Jesus. But the disciples, we are told, rebuked them. That's a strong word. It's the same word that Jesus used uh, uh, when Jesus rebuked Peter. That's the same word that is used for And when he said, uh, get behind me, Satan, that's the same word. Or when Jesus cast out the demon from that, uh, that boy that the father brought, it's the same word. 
And disciples are acting as bouncers. They're, they're as gatekeepers. Uh, earlier on, we saw that they, they prevented uh, unauthorized use of Jesus' name when there's this ex- nameless exorcist who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they said, we try to stop them. We try to hinder them. And they're doing the same thing here, not hindering someone from using the name of Jesus, but for someone to be admitted to the presence of Jesus. Why didn't they think of Jesus as, uh, why didn't they think of these children as worthy of Jesus' time and attention? Uh, We have no record of them uh, preventing anyone else from coming to Jesus. Uh, In the next uh, passage that we're going to look at next week, which is uh, uh, that one and this one ought to be looked at together, someone else comes to Jesus, and it's a rich man, and, and he gets a free pass. Comes right in. And he is welcome. But here, uh, they are told that they, they prevented children from uh, coming to Jesus. When parents brought children for healing, they permitted them. Because when Jesus healed the children, his reputation increased. There were greater followers. And, and that benefited them. Uh, the, they were people, you remember before, they, they were trying to get Jesus to stay in Capernaum. Because there were great crowds. And Jesus had to say that, no, I have to go to other towns as well. Because that is why they came. Uh, he came. But these disciples are impressed by worldly values. Um, when people bring children just to be blessed by Jesus, by Jesus there's nothing that uh, uh, that did for their group. The disciples had nothing to gain. Also, in the ancient world, uh, children had added no value to family honor or to the family economy. They, uh, even even in Jewish setting, the children were considered religious uh, non-entities. Till they hit 13, the boys, when they become a bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment, when they are held accountable for obeying God's law. But till then, they were not considered worthy of the attention of a great religious leader or a teacher. But for the disciples, this is not just a great religious teacher or, or leader or a teacher. This is the Christ who has come to establish the kingdom of God. He has no time for laying hands on the heads of children. Keep them out. But Jesus gives attention to those whom the disciples consider unworthy. Because Jesus identifies with those who are considered powerless, those who are considered with no rights, those who are considered with a lowly status, those who are considered insignificant. It is to those that Jesus opens himself. So we are told in verses 14 and 15, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. When Jesus saw what they were doing, he was indignant. Uh, Mark is not afraid to use strong uh, human emotions uh, to Jesus. He is fully human. He is fully capable of anger. Uh, uh, He is fully capable of uh, frustration with the disciples' action. Uh, he, He... he is angry with them, and he said to them, uh, this is not some uh, circumstantial anger like we do. We get uh, mad when somebody spills their coffee on them or, on, or something like that. This is, uh, this is the, the divine indignation at someone who's acting improperly, someone who belongs to God who's acting improperly. And Jesus positively and negatively tells them what he ought to do. Let the children come to me, positive. Do not hinder them. See, far from being unwelcome in the presence of Jesus, children are precisely the kind of people who are welcome to Jesus, to the kingdom of God. 
Do not hinder them. Do not be an obstacle to them. These, these disciples are the ones through whom Jesus will gather people into the kingdom. And here they are being obstacles to people who are trying to come into Jesus' presence. And Jesus says, the reason is that for to such belongs the kingdom of God. To such. And here's where the passage becomes more of a discipleship passage than a passage about just children. It includes children, but it's about a passage about those who belong to the kingdom uh, being those who are like children. Such, such as, uh, to such belongs the kingdom of God. This passage is about receiving the kingdom of God. This passage uh, is about entering the kingdom of God. This is a passage about uh, those to whom the kingdom of God belongs. So those who are truly disciples of Jesus must be childlike. What does it mean to be childlike? You know, we have uh, romanticized and sentimentalized views of children as being uh, humble or trustful or transparent or innocent or pure or, 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 or so many other things we think children are. But those of you who are school teachers and those of you who are parents also know that children are not that sweet all the time. Yeah. It can be demanding, they can be short-tempered, they can be stubborn, they can be sulky, they can be thankless, they can be selfish, uh, and they can be downright cruel to each other. And sometimes to the teacher, <laughs> or to the parent. But the attribute, the characteristic of children that Jesus says, uh, when, when Jesus speaks of when he says, to such, as belong, to such belongs the kingdom of God, is one of not possessing any status in the world of adults. One who's ignored by those who matter. One who has nothing to commend uh, for an audience with Jesus. Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to those who come to God empty-handed with a childlike faith. See, power and riches, as we're going to see in the next passage, can be nearly insurmountable obstacles to entering into the kingdom of God. Even a camel can go through the eye of a needle, you would say. So it's not about gentleness or purity or innocence, but it's, it's about being small in the eyes of the world. It's about being insignificant in the eyes of the world. It's about not having any social status in the eyes of the world. It's about being needy. It's about being completely dependent on, on God. It's about being those who can only receive the kingdom and give nothing in return for it. This is about not seeking admission on the basis of status or standing or power or affluence or connections or merit. Those who come to receive the kingdom only as a gift of God's grace. And children are always ready to receive a gift. Adults work on earning that one. Grace is the only gateway by which we can enter into the kingdom. We need to receive it as those who have no leverage, no status, no social capital. That's what makes the gospel offensive to people. Because we have been... uh, Programmed to think of ourselves through socially constructed identity values. You know, uh, our value depends on who we are, uh, what family we come from, what we have accomplished, uh, what is our standing in in uh, in the community. And those who have such things are those who are of value. But the inclusion in God's kingdom is slowly a ma- is, is is surely a matter, or solely a matter of God's grace. Only those who receive it as a child, those who make no claims about themselves, those who assume that they're utter dependence, those who are not concerned about rank or status or self-image, it's those who receive 
who enter, who possess the kingdom of God. This is so counterintuitive to the way culture behaves, culture thinks that Jesus has to back up his statement with this affirmation, Amen, or truly I say to you. Usually there are 14 of these amen statements in the Gospel of Mark. And every time it's about a warning or a promise or, or, or a strong statement concerning the authority of Jesus to say these things. And look at here. Jesus makes an authoritative pronouncement concerning the kingdom of God. He speaks with the authority of God himself. And with that authority, he tells the disciples who it is that has a place in his kingdom and who are kept out. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So he holds up as examples those whom the disciples rejected and prevented as unworthy. He welcomes those whom they rejected and what they needed to do is to adopt the attitude of children of littleness, of weakness. In, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, it is to those who are poor in the spirit to whom the kingdom belongs same words as here so children are those who are open to receive gifts with no claim concerning themselves and those who come to God to find a place in his kingdom ought to come with that same lowliness of mind concerning themselves and what they find is that God is willing to receive them and bless them and that's what happens in verse 16 he took them in his arms and blessed them and laying his hands uh, and blessed them laying his hands on them uh, they came for that reason. Their parents or whoever it was brought the children so that Jesus may lay his hands upon them. They received that, but they received so much more. He took them in his arms. They came for a touch. They received an embrace. And this is where we see these are not just, you know, the word for children could, uh, uh, Jairus' 12-year-old daughter is called the same word. Uh, the demon-possessed boys came, is called the same word. But, but here it's little children, children who are small enough that Jesus can embrace them. And we are told that he blessed them. When we come empty-handed, we find that our hands are filled with the blessings of God himself. See, this is a passage that... Uh, we can easily dismiss as already applied. You know, who among you is going to say, is going to keep children out from coming into God's presence? We are all about receiving children, right? So this is one passage we can say, done, I'm a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> we decide we're not like those despicable disciples. How could they? We love and welcome children, but when we come to passages like this where we are affirmed in our righteousness, self-righteousness, we need to little, dig a little deeper because this passage is not just about children. Uh, it's, it's primarily about discipleship. It's about the kingdom of God. Its focus is on entering, receiving, and possessing the kingdom. It's about how, who we are as signposts to the kingdom of God. Will we be signposts and those who open doors or we will, be, uh, will we be obstacles to those whom God is drawing to himself? Will we be gatekeepers who decide who is worthy and who is not worthy of admission? Or will we hold the doors open for those who find themselves unwelcome in the eyes of the world, but are, are welcomed by God himself? Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, the very first words we hear him proclaim is, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
The kingdom of God is at hand in the coming of Jesus and the proper response is to repent and believe. What is repentance? Repentance is recognizing one's unworthiness because of sin, because of a rebellion against God. Acknowledging our sin and turning away from it is repentance and believing in the good news is trusting that what we lack, God has fully provided in his son, Jesus Christ. God, we, we trust fully and completely in God's provision in Christ and we do not rely on ourselves, our works, our status or anything else. Uh, as we sing, we come to God empty handed. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So we come with no hope in ourselves. We come as sinners. We come to receive God's gracious provision of salvation. Uh, the Reformation Sunday is coming up, and we remember the Reformation on October 31st. We remember the five solas. Sola gratia, by God's grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sola Christus, by Christ alone. Soli dia gloria, for God's glory alone, and all this according to sola scriptura. That's God's word for us. Only the lowly, only the broken, only the contrite respond to and receive God's grace for they have come to an end of themselves and fully rely on who God is and what he has done. Not only is this true for entrance into the kingdom, that's how all of us came. None of us came before God and brought credentials and say, this is why you should accept me. We all came broken and we said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I have uh, nothing to bring to you, but I come acknowledging my sinfulness and your provision. That's how we come. But having come in, do we remain with that same attitude or we start looking down our somewhat holy noses at uh, those outside and, and think of them as maybe not as welcome in God's presence as we are because Surely they don't live like we do. See, entrance into the kingdom requires that contriteness, that uh, lowliness, but continued life in the kingdom requires that posture of repentance, that posture of dependence on God. This is true for those who are unbelievers. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, uh, you are separated from life in God's kingdom, in relationship with God. And you may think of yourself as, uh, you know, after all that I have done, I think I don't think I can go before God. I'm completely unworthy. Well, I have good news for you. You are the exact, you're exactly the kind of person that God is looking for. Jesus says, I came to save sinners. He doesn't come for the righteous, and there's no one who is righteous. That means anyone and everyone who acknowledges their sinfulness, no matter how great it is, if you come to Jesus confessing your sin and trusting in what he has done, that he died for your sin and rose again, you have God's word. You will be forgiven. You will be brought into God's kingdom as his child. You'll be clothed with Christ's righteousness. So when God sees you, he sees Christ because he places you in Christ, adopts you in Christ as his own child. Why would you refuse that? God's door is open. Would you come? If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you'll be saved. But this is good news also for believers because we too, like the disciples, are prone to pride. Pride is this ever-present threat. This tendency towards superiority, even spiritual superiority, by which we look down on people, whether fellow believers who are not as righteous as we are or don't serve as much as we do or whatever criteria we have to exalt ourselves over the other. And then instead of becoming a welcome, welcoming presence, we become a hindrance to others from coming to Jesus. 
not just in, in, in our life and relationship with God, but even uh, in how, uh, in our political stances that we take, where uh, uh, we become self-serving in our priorities, uh, or we try to achieve holy ends through worldly means. When we serve, uh, not for the sake of the one we are serving, but in order to make a name for ourselves, whether individually or as a church, uh, we become those who hinder, become an obstacle for those who God is bringing to himself. See, as, as God's people, we ought to see ourselves who, always, we have to see ourselves as those who deserve nothing. But by his grace have been granted everything. God, at the very beginning of our salvation, gives us an identity that is greater than anything we can achieve in this world. We have been brought into His kingdom, united to His Son, and identified as His children. To be a child of God, there is no greater title, position than that. And we receive that at the front end, so that we may freely be the last of all. We may freely be the servant of all. We may freely do those things the world will consider demeaning for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But quite often, sadly, uh, there are many who use even their faith as a means to advance themselves in the eyes of the world and maybe even the eyes of believers. The Apostle Paul knew who he was. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is Paul's version of Amen. He can't say truly I say as Jesus does. But he says this is a trustworthy saying. Deserving full acceptance. You can take this to the bank. What is that? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we say Amen. And then he says of whom I am the foremost he says. See I, I've repeated this many other times. Uh, when you look at First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 15. That's one of Paul's earliest epistles. And in, his, in that early episode, he calls himself as the least among the apostles. And, you know, like, well, maybe least among the apostles, but he's at least one of the apostles. But then as he advances in the faith, and as he is uh, greater sense by God in Ephesians, which is a later epistle, he says, I'm the least of God's people. Man, as he moves up in his Christian life, he moves down in his standing uh, in front of, in God's eyes. And then when he comes to, to the end of his life in, uh, second Timothy, in First Timothy here, he says he's the, not just the least of God's people, he's the foremost of sinners. What happened, Paul? Are you living in sin? No. The closer he gets to God in his relationship with God, the more he sees himself in light of God's holiness, he sees his unworthiness. And as much as his, uh, the Jesus that he follows saw himself, uh, even though he was in the form of God, took on not just human form, but the form of a slave, a slave who dies on the cross for our sake. Uh, he lowers himself in his own eyes, truthfully, and sees his unworthiness. But all this is not just to, to say how lowly he is, but for, his, for, the, for an end, he says, but I received mercy for this reason. Why? That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who, are believe, those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Why did Paul receive God's mercy as the foremost of sinners? So when people look at Paul, they should say, if God could save that man, he can save me. 
And that's what all of us should be, that when people see us, it's like if that sinner can be saved, uh, maybe God would be merciful to me as well. And that should be the proclamation with our lips and with our lives, not as the deserving ones, those who have status, those who have earned their way up to God, those who are holy. No, unworthy people who have received God's grace and therefore a testimony to others that they too can come into the kingdom of God purely through those gates of grace. So it's not only entering and remaining in the kingdom, but it's also welcoming such as these. Disciples of Jesus welcome and provide hospitality to those who are the world considers socially marginalized. We are called to serve the needy. Uh, that's, that's everywhere. We saw that passage that Tracy read for us in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, God cares for the sojourner. God cares for the widow. God cares for those who are uh, the least in their society. And God does not change. So it's not surprising that the God who says he's not partial in Deuteronomy 10 says the same thing through James in James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down on my feet, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by law as transgressors. How are we hindering anyone from coming to faith in Christ? See, our whole life is to be a signpost to the kingdom of God. Uh, we need to see how our lives would, are sending the message that others are not welcome unless they are somehow holy like us or worthy like us. Uh, this passage is about children. But it's, it's also about those who are like children, those who are of lowly status in the eyes of the world as back then. Uh, we are, as a church, we love children. We care that they come to know Christ. Uh, we have a wonderful family ministries program where uh, we not only... Uh, uh, love these children but equip them in the faith our 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 programs our 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 curriculum are all scripturally based so these children come to know and uh, christ early in their lives but sadly that's not true and i don't say this to say we are better than any other church but sadly even as uh, some of the curriculum we look at a lot of it is to entertain the children and not necessarily to build them in the faith so are we being unwelcoming by not uh not realizing the potential, the capacity our children learn to know God, to praise God, to live as witnesses for God. Um, we welcome children when they come into our midst to, to sing the songs they learn, to recite their memory verses. Uh, but what about a child that comes in and uh, screams his head off? Will we still feel welcome? Uh, like welcoming the child? You know, the idea of multi-generational worship is... Uh, uh, it's new to the evangelical church, but that's the way God's kingdom has always been. You know, older people, younger people, children, all together, learning to love God and uh, to live for God and being examples to one another. We care for children who come to our church. We care, we love it when parents or other caretakers bring children, but there are far more children outside of our church who will never come here. 
whose parents will not bring them, their caretakers will not come. Uh, will we be welcoming to them? How, will, how can we be welcoming to them if they won't come into our space? We go to their space. And even there, we, uh, many of our ministries are focused toward that. Pastor Jim recently started the ministry with Young Lives, where uh, our people minister with uh, teenage moms, another group of people uh, who are considered unworthy by this world. Uh, our people go and, and provide a meal for them, take care of their children while they, while they learn some life skills. That's a wonderful ministry. We minister to migrant children in Long Island City by providing clothes and, uh, and uh, arranging their pantry. Sister Maria leads that ministry. Thank you for doing that. But there is so much more that we can do. Our, uh, you know, our society provides legal rights to our children, rightly so. But quite often, the, the poor, the economically disadvantaged, uh, don't really enjoy their, those rights. They live... Um, as those who are exploited, those who are abused. Uh, in, in our pursuit of legislation that is good for us, do we, are we people who stand for uh, these children who are abused, or children who's, whose rights are not acknowledged? We know of runaway children, children who would rather live on the street than live in their homes because of what has happened to them at their homes. And then now we hear about throwaway children, children who would like to live in their homes, but their parents have rejected them for, uh, for, for whatever reason. Uh, we are people who care for uh, the least among those. Uh, we care for uh, about, uh, about abortion, that uh, all children have a God-given privilege to come into this world, and no one should prevent them from coming into this world. But often we are accused of caring for the unborn, unborn, but not caring for those who are already born. As Christians, we have the privilege to stand up for these children as well in, in uh, helping them with, their, uh, with the programs that, or advocating for pro, uh, programs for their welfare, uh, for, for feeding those of them who are hungry. The, the largest group of uh, hungry people in our country are children. What will we do as Christians? Their opportunities are endless. But this is not just about children. Uh, this is about all who are considered of lowly status. You know, the, the situation is kind of reversed in our culture, where it's not as much children who are considered of lowly status who are not of worth. It's actually older people who we reject as who have lived their lives are no longer useful. And some countries even provide them a way, ticket out with a physician-assisted suicide and so on. Uh, how are we as a church in caring for those who are elderly? Sometimes the church gets afraid. As uh, we said, if we have no future, if we don't have youth and children, well, my answer to that is we'll never run out of old people. Uh, that does not mean we don't seek to reach the young people and the children, but we also seek to reach 20 to 30 percent, maybe more, of our city are older adults. Uh, there are older adult centers throughout the city, 200 of them, where we can go and minister to older people and uh, help them to see that they have great value, not only to us, but in the eyes of God. How about those we see as those sinners, uh, people with disordered sexual desires, people who have uh, gender identities that are um, uh, disordered, do we just look upon them with, with disgust or do we take the welcoming posture of sinners like us? Maybe they sin differently than we do, 
But just as much God's grace is available to us, to sinners like us, God's grace is available to them too. Will they see us as those who have a welcoming posture toward them? How about migrants in our borders, at our, in our own cities, at our, at our borders? Do we just see them as violators of our laws, or do we see them as image bearers to whom we can minister in meeting their needs for food and clothing and shelter, and above all, sharing the love of Christ with them as we see them in our own cities? When we see ourselves as unwelcoming towards someone, we need to ask, ask ourselves, what is it that keeps us from welcoming them? What is it that makes us afraid? What are the sources of our fear? Why do we become suspicious and anxious when we see certain kind of people? Or sometimes we see these needs and we think that need is too big and it's too overwhelming for me. Uh, then do we look for others we can partner with, uh, like we do with Avail and we look, do with uh, Young Lives and so on, that we can together bear witness to the Lord Jesus by, by our welcoming uh, presence to these who are in need. The opportunities to be welcoming to such as these are endless if we would only see that as our calling as God's people, as those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to obey everything that he has commanded us to do, and that includes Matthew chapter 10, verse, I mean Mark 10, 13 to 16. Will we see ourselves as the least of those who have no status in the world but have received everything from God? Will we also see those that the world has rejected as the, exactly the kind of people that God would welcome to himself if they would only hear about Christ? Let's go to him and ask his help. Our Father and our God, we thank you for Jesus, strong and kind. We are weak, we are helpless, but because of who he is and what he has done for us, we have come here. You have welcomed us, not just at a distance, but into your own family as your children. We have fellowship with the God of the universe, with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. God, these are not privileges we can earn or be worthy of or measure up to. It's all by grace. And in your great wisdom and mercy, you have appointed us as the heralds of that good news. People who open the doors to your kingdom by proclaiming that good news, not just with our words, but with our lives. Help us to be that kind of people who see ourselves as those who have been welcomed by you in spite of who we are, and that we would be channels of your love and your blessing and your welcome to those around us, for, especially those who are least, for we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.